On Tuesday, as you're turning there, on Tuesday, uh, Barney and I uh, were talking on the live stream in depth about false teachers, those who desire to lead people away from the faith, not just their faith, because we can, we can have a, a faulty faith or a faith placed in wrong things, and people should lead us astray from those things, but, but uh, false teachers are designed or uh, desiring to lead people away from the faith in Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy that these individuals are wolves and that they are frauds and that they will be shown for what they really are, just like the magicians in Pharaoh's Egypt. I think as I'm here, I just want to kind of throw something out to you. Uh, Paul does not instruct Timothy to go after every false teacher. Although there is a reality that we should, we should uh, call to light or call out the teachings that are false, Paul actually tells Timothy, settle in, they will fall short. Settle in, these false teachers will fall, that's what they do. And so uh, I think that that's encouraging because uh, many times we seem to be on a mission to root out all the bad stuff in the church or in life and God is effectively telling us he is taking care of those things. Uh, We will play a part, but it's really important to see those kinds of ideas in the scripture. In contrast to that though, Paul tells Timothy, uh, who was a genuine teacher of truth, that he should stay the course and imitate both Paul and the Lord who bought him. Uh, Paul's essential teaching, essential tr- uh, instruction here is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. These words will be on the screen. You, however, continue in the things you have learned. It's really important to follow that language. You, Timothy, however, in other words, in contrast to these false teachers, in contrast to the problems that I've just dealt with, you continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now I'm just going to take a slight pause here to show you something else. We love to quote this. We love to use this as a universal biblical principle. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is a true principle, true enough, right? We should always run back to God's word for these things. But when we take a passage out of context and we use it, here's what we do. We don't always just get it completely wrong. Sometimes we miss the power of what is being said here. So Paul has just uh, drawn... Timothy's attention to false teachers and said what a problem they are, but that he is handling those false teachers. He also says, as for you, stay the course. And what course are you supposed to stay, Timothy? The very course of the word of God you were taught as a very young man. Why? Because that scripture is useful for all the purposes that brought you to who you are. Right? So when we read it in context, what we learn is that all scriptures inspired by God was written to Timothy to say, it is worth you staying the course because the curriculum that brought you up is sound. It's good. You should trust it. Uh, False teachers want you to trust what they say. False teachers want you to trust their opinions and their ideas. But a sound teacher is going to say, listen, 
Go back to the word of God. It is the sound truth. You notice Paul doesn't say, you should just go back to whatever I said. He just says, you should, you should know that all scripture is uh, for this purpose. And that's what you were reared on, Timothy. So Paul wants Timothy to rest on the convictions that he espouses. Over and against the false teachers, Paul is encouraging Timothy again to stand firm in his faith. A faith as we're about to see and as I've shared in the past, which has both substance and evidence. Now I need you to, I need you to engage with me here, church, because this is a misconception of the church today and it has to be done away with. Faith is not and never will be a leap or blind in any way. Faith is not a leap or blind in any way. It may not always see, as we're going to read in the case of Noah here in a second, but there is a huge difference between not being able to see and being blind. You say, that doesn't make any sense, Nathan. No, no, no. I can't see what's behind that wall behind me, but I'm not blind. I just have to gain a different perspective to understand it. And there are many things that God calls us to and says, I'm not going to show you all the details. There's, a, there's something behind the wall, right? There's, there's something there. That doesn't make me blind. That just means God said it, so I have to trust that particular thing. True biblical faith is predicated on substance and evidence, and it's something that we can count on. True biblical faith is like the rising and the setting of the sun, church. So Timothy was being instructed to continue in those things of which he was, and Paul's word is amazing here, convinced. Not pretending it's true, right? He's convinced of something. So next, Paul reminds Timothy of the source of these truths. Timothy encountered his faith via a mom and a grandma. Show of hands, how many of that true of? Mom and grandma taught me a lot in my life. That is an amazing truth. It's probably true for many of us. But that's, but that's not what Paul wants us to focus on, okay? The, the important thing here is what they taught. In other words, the curriculum. They taught Timothy the word of God. There's a, there are challenges in the, in the church today in that we get brought up sometimes by well-meaning people and we, we should give them credit, and we should love them, and we should honor them. But we get brought up by well-meaning people that teach us the things that they were taught by well-meaning people, the, te- the things that they were taught by well-meaning people, but it is far from the truth of the Bible, right? It's far from these truths. And so we have to, at some point, get back to the truth. So Paul says, you were reared on these ideas, but here's what they are. They were the word of God. They were the sacred writings. Paul says that they are sacred writings which give wisdom unto salvation in Christ Jesus by faith. Uh, I love that truth. Uh, This writing or these writings constitute all of scripture as well. Now, not only are these scriptures true and inspired by God, They have a particular purpose. Paul said that they are for teaching, for reproving, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. And then it goes even further, all so that the servant of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. How many of you want to be equipped for every good work? Yes, we all do. Now, how many of you actually run to the Bible for that equipping? Yeah. (laughs) Right? We, We love the end, and then we hate the means. We go, here's the end, and God goes, okay, you ready to study? 
And we're like, no, (laughs) right? Let the pastor just feed me all of this stuff. No, 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 we need to be studying God's word. Should you be discipled? Yes, I think that is a wonderful thing. But there is a word of God that is uh, at your disposal. It is something that you can consume. So Paul, again, was reminding Timothy that the truth is, uh, what is what produced him as a man was the word of God, and he should stay the course in those truths at all costs. Well, this sets the stage for what I want to talk to you about today. We're living in a time where although, and this is where I told Ethan this morning that I was, I was going to write something on my mask this morning, just something inappropriate because I wanted to stir people up. He said, well, I think you're about to do that with the message anyway, aren't you? And I said, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> so so this, is, this is where we take the turn, and this is where I start to make people mad. Um, We're living in a time where although there are glaring issues that require reproof and correction according to God's word, just pick a sin, right? There's plenty of those. Uh, There are also some very subtle issues that require the same treatment, the same use of God's word. There's there's an epidemic of harshness within the church towards one another. We're we're not marked by love for one another in the church today. Um, Churches are lacking wisdom and discernment, and I'm not saying churches and not us. I'm saying church is lacking wisdom and discernment today. Uh, We're getting entangled in the world's affairs too deeply. We should be dealing with our world. We should be stewarding it well. We should be ruling and reigning as God has initially intended us to do as image bearers, but we have to be very careful because sometimes we just delve way too deep into the minutia of life. Um, The list can go on and on. Sadly, we're not in a place to receive this kind of love, and that's what discipline is, mind you. Discipline is love. But the church today refuses to hear anything that we deem negative, and the culture thinks the same exact thing. Don't be so negative. Don't be so negative. Well, I I really want somebody to be negative if I'm heading towards a cliff, and it's going to end in my death, (laughs) right? I want somebody to say, knock it off. Don't be so negative with me. I I want you to be negative, right? We do whatever is right in our own eyes. It's the time of the judges again. Or we do whatever is right in the eyes of our traditions and our upbringing, but we have nothing to do with what is uh, actually true. As a matter of fact, ultimate truth for us can be damned. We don't care. We just, whatever. It's all what I want it to be. Most Christians today believe that as long as they aren't as bad as the other guy, (laughs) that they're okay. You know that's not the way we're judged, right? Hey, listen. Nathan, as long as you just weren't as bad as that guy, so you get to come to heaven. <laughs> this, is, this is not what the Bible teaches. So we've got to make sure we're getting this today. I'm going to use God's word again for the sacred task it was designed for. Um, and what I mean by that is that we're going to look at a very important truth, which people of faith live by. Uh, they, ha- they live by it now, they have lived by it for, for eons of time, and hopefully will allow the scripture to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us in right living, okay? So this will equip us to stay the course in a very practical way, as well as the work to which we're all called, every one of us. The practical thing that I'm referring to, here's where I start to uh, upset people, the practical thing that I'm talking about today is our engagement in American politics, 
we're at church, and I'm going to talk about politics and religion. <laughs> oh, geez. Anyway, so the, the idea here is that we're going to talk about American politics and our engagement in it, and the work that we're all tasked with, which King Jesus clearly stated in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. How many of you know that's still your job? Some of you aren't listening. Raise your hands. How many of you know that's still your job, Ben Bird? That's still right on, right on. Okay, that is still our job. So here's the truth we're looking for today, and this is as plain as I can say it. Our present country, no matter where you reside as Christians, and for us, where is that? Say it to me. Um, come on, guys. You're America. <laughs> no, but, but America is fine, right? Our present country is not our home. Now, please say that with me. America is not our home. Now, I've got people twitching. Those who believe and confess this to be true, those who recognize that we are exiles in this world are those who truly understand the hope of God's story. And those who don't have lost sight of the story. We've lost sight of the story. As we parse through Hebrews 11, 1 through 16, which again is the main text here, uh, we're going to see exactly how this truth affected behavior for the key characters at play. And then after that, I'm going to offer some pointers on how this truth should affect our behavior, uh, both in political engagements and our call to make disciples. It's my conviction, church, hear me out, it's my conviction that if we heed the lessons of faith contained in these few verses, not only will our minds rest easier regarding current events, regarding the current political upheaval that we feel we're experiencing, but will also stay the course and be counted among those of whom it is said, God is not ashamed to be called their God. That is like the greatest honor ever. I've always loved the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. But I think the fact that God is not ashamed of me is a pretty big deal. Not just, hey servant, good job, but I'm not ashamed of you. Powerful stuff right there. My dad loves to quote the uh, well done, good and faithful servant a really uh, curious way. He says that he believes that God is going to say to him one day, well... You're done, <laughs> right? Not well done, but well, you're done, okay? I, I love that. I love that. Uh, I think that's actually true for my dad. Anyway, no, it's <laughs> awesome. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. These are the words of God. My mom really loved that part right there. So anyway, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, that is faith, by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. This is a quintessential cosmological argument. Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. 
God, testifying about his gifts, Cain, or Abel's, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. That sounds amazing. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And Enoch is our example of one who believed God and knew that God was a rewarder of those who sought him. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive foreign inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going, because he's a man and didn't ask for directions. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life. Since she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But, not so. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, there's a lot that we're going to cover in this. That Timothy piece was just the intro to this sermon. Sorry, guys. There's a lot to cover, and if we take the right path, it's my view that if we take the right path, we will receive the training and righteousness I mentioned just a second ago. So let's begin by focusing our attention on verses 13 through 16. The writer of Hebrews says this to start off. All these died in faith without having received, received the promises. Okay, stop right there. I don't know if you know this, audience participation here, but you're allowed to question God and his word. Did you know that? Now say this with me. I can question God. It's okay. Not only will he and his word stand up to your scrutiny, <laughs> but whatever is said will prove true in the end, I assure you, because what I know and what the scriptures tell us is that God's word will not return void. We don't have to worry about it. And guess why God is okay with you questioning him? Because he's not intimidated by you. You think you're bigger than you are. I think maybe, maybe, right? He's not intimidated. He's okay with those questions. My kids ask me questions all the time. Do I panic and think, man, they've overthrown me as dad? No. <laughs> I don't, well, they're trying, but that's not, that's not what they've done, right? And we can't do this with God. 
So, so let's look at this a little bit uh, more in depth. We're going to ask some questions that I believe are, are helpful. Um, the first question that we're going to ask is, who are all these referred to in this beginning passage? And then second, we're going to ask the question, is it true that they died in faith without having received the promises? So the all these, let's deal with that one first. Um, there are two schools of thought on this particular question, believe it or not. Uh, the first is that the writer is referring to the patriarchs, that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that's all he's referring to. Um, I don't agree with this, and I'll show you why. The second is that the writer is actually referring to everybody he's mentioned up to this point. Uh, there's merit to both of these, or there's at least sound arguments to both of these, but the reason I choose the second is because of something that's said later in the chapter. This won't be on the screen. I've, I failed to put it in. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 and 40 says this, and all these, again, another reference to all these, and by this point, many more people had been listed in Hebrews 11, all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. And the writer just brought you and me into the story. So that, apart from us, you and I, they would not be made perfect. You see, all these, again, in my estimation here, refers to everyone that has been mentioned in Hebrews because God had a plan to make us all perfect in one way. What was that way? Jesus Christ, right? That is how God brought this whole thing up. But because of that right standing with God, the promise that was made to Abraham, the promise that was made to all these is true of us, and they all knew it, and that is that because of our right standing, we are invited to a country of our own. We're invited to a place where we get to dwell with God forever. It's not, salvation is not just Jesus paid for your sins, now hunker down until you die and we'll figure out what's happening in the great by and by. That's not what salvation is. What salvation is, is a massive amount of promises that say, I have saved you, I am sanctifying you, I have given you my spirit. Oh, but the promise still remaining is that I'm going to live with you forever. I'm going to dwell with you because you're my people. I'm going to restore Eden. I'm going to restore that temple. And I'm going to be among my people again. There is nothing better than that beautiful, beautiful promise. Number two, the statement, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. Is that true? Well, yes. And no. <laughs> Isn't that fun, right? The Bible tells us something that is very much true, but there's a way that it's not true, and you have to nuance this, right? Are we saying that Abel wasn't credited with righteousness? Of course not. He was credited with righteousness. So Enoch wasn't pleasing to God. Well, he absolutely was pleasing to God. The guy didn't even have to die. <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome, right? Noah didn't save his family in the ark. Noah didn't become an heir of righteousness? Of course he did. He did both of those things. So Abraham didn't live in the land of promise, and Sarah didn't have a son named Isaac. Again, yes, those promises absolutely came true. So what in the world is going on here? Why would the writer say that they died not having received promises? Well, the answer has to do with a particular promise, or promises plural, and listen to me, in that the promise was made to the many. 
It's not about many different promises. It's about the promise made to many. Therefore, it was promises that they all heard, okay? Again, the writer said, all these died in faith without having received the promises, which was this future kingdom, this future place for them. Each of these people did die in faith, waiting for the very same thing that if we understand our Bibles, we are waiting for the same. If we really have heard the whole of the gospel, we're waiting for two, which is a heavenly country, something beyond this physical planet. Because why, church? This is not our home. Hebrews eleven sixteen. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That sounds epic, okay? The city that he's prepared. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 shows us what this country and this city will be and when it will come about. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. When does this come about? When all this is gone, okay? When all this is either, and there's a couple of ways of seeing it, it's either that all this is destroyed and remade or this is refined to purity, Okay, there's some uh, different scholarly opinion on that. So Revelation goes on. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We're going to have to get some amens on this. And there will be no, no longer any death, amen. There will no longer be any mourning, amen, or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. There's no Pentecostal preacher in the world that preached a better sermon than that. You see, what these individuals were waiting for was the culmination of all things. They did receive some individual promises, of course, but they also died in faith not having received some promises. The issue that is so important for us to look at is the universal promise, the promise that we're included in, the promise of a place to dwell with our God. Now, why is this so important? Because if you haven't noticed, we're living in a time of political upheaval. I don't know. Turn on the TV just once for 30 seconds. You'll realize <laughs> it sucketh out there. Okay? <laughs> right? King James. Anyway, so, right? so political upheaval is going on not only in our country, but in our whole world. A moment in time where regardless of your political affiliation, no one believes that the other side is listening or even cares. And the reason for that is because the other side doesn't care. <laughs> and they aren't listening. This upheaval engages uh, that age-old fight-or-flight response that each one of us has. It's found in every one of us. Many of us flee from these conversations. We kind of uh, bury our head in the sand. But when people fight in the midst of these conversations, and we're seeing the fighting happen more and more and more, people seem to stop being objective. They seem to stop being loving. They seem to stop being gentle. And guess what? It's even happening in the church Worst of all, they stop pursuing God. Our God has become patriotism, church. Our God has become America. And please, please hear me. I'm not suggesting we don't steward it well. But I am telling you, we have 
we are flirting with idolatry, okay? In the church, we are flirting with idolatry. The fact that Christians are part and parcel to this train wreck is what's pitiful to me. This is where as a pastor and a teacher, I cannot sit by and not say something. And the things that I have to say, and honestly the things that we as Christians are supposed to say, can't be mere opinion. We have enough opinions already. What we have to do is go back to the Word of God, draw from the correction and the training and righteousness that it provides, and then present that to the world for consideration. And I'm trying to present that to you for consideration. But just like the false teachers and sound teachers, I'm not going to tell you, here is the truth and you have to live by what Nathan says. I'm not the Pope of anything. I want you to know that this is what I see in the Word of God, and I want you to test it and see. I want you to look to it. You can throw what I say out the window if you see what is actually true, and I'm wrong. I don't believe that's the case, but I want you to consider what I'm saying. So before we get into each of these character stories, I want you to know that each of these people that we read about today believed and trusted and even declared the truth I mentioned before, that the earth is not their home. It was this belief that motivated them to godly lives and uh, to trusting God in the most obscure circumstances. And we would do well to do likewise. So please hear me with this. I love being an American, but this is not my home. I love being an American. I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world, but it is not my home. Should I steward this well, being an American? Absolutely, I should. Can I get an amen? Yes, you should steward well what you've been given and where you live. Should I and can I appeal to the rules of America or even try to change the rules of America so that I might lead a more peaceful life? Yes, I should and I will. I should do that. Just like the Apostle Paul did concerning his Roman citizenship, Acts chapter 22. He appealed to that to make his life better. They were beating him. And he appealed to that. We should do it. But what Paul did, which we don't do, is always stayed focused on the gospel. What we're fighting for is a right absent of Jesus. I should be able to say whatever I want whenever I want. Why? So you can preach the gospel that you haven't preached in 30 years? Don't lie to me and don't lie to yourself. It's a freaking joke. I want freedom of speech because you can't spread the gospel any other way. Go to China. You're wrong. My point is this. Don't fight for rights apart from the Jesus that we serve. Fight for your rights, but then use them for kingdom purposes. Amen? Use them for the glory of the God that we serve. Can I settle in and build a house, raise a family, and own a dog? Yes, yes, and yes. Don't have a cat. They're of the devil. Right? I don't care who I've made mad right there. Cats are awful. But what I can't do, church, is allow my personal views of this country or even our world to derail me from the mission at hand. I can't get so caught up in the system and the arguments of the day that I forget the commission I've been given. And what I hear about among most Christians is more argument over their rights as Americans than their discussions and their strategies on how to deliver the gospel to a lost and dying world. And you know you're guilty. 
and you know you're guilty. We don't get to play a game where we go, Nathan's talking to someone else right now. We get to hold that mirror up and go, We can't get caught up in this system. We can't forget the ethic by which we're called to live, which is love. And biblical love, not the world's ooey-gooey, whatever it is, love. The reason is that when we get sidetracked, people no longer see hope in us, church. They see a people who look just like we do, or just like they do, right? They're not seeing a church that's different. They see a church that looks just like they do. They see a people that are still slaves to fear. And trust me when I say this, the, church, the world is not interested in changing from one fear-inducing master to another. They already live by fear. They don't want a better master or a worse one. They want one who loves them. They want one who gives them uh, compassion and care. My dad said this the other week, and it was just extraordinarily profound. It just hit me so hard. He said, whatever you fear is what you worship. Whatever you fear is what you worship. Church, if we fear the Lord, revere God, we will worship him and give him our devotion. But guess what we'll do if we fear the system of our world and the problems of politics and all that stuff? We will bow at the altar of all those things, and we have. We have. That altar is uh, burning with a raging fire right now as we sacrifice anything and everything to it. And we've got to surrender this idea. If we can be like the people of Hebrews 11 a people who truly walk by faith, a people who had sanctified Christ, in a sense, uh, and not Caesar as Lord in their hearts, well, then the words of the Apostle Paul will prove to be true in 1 Peter 3.15, or Apostle Peter. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you of the hope that you have. Wow. You know why people don't ask us of the hope that we have? Because we don't have any. Your hope cannot reside in the next elected official. Should you vote well, yes. But your hope cannot reside there. Otherwise, you look just like everybody else. If we're a people of true supernatural hope, the world will take notice of us. People will ask us of our hope. They will experience Jesus in us. If we're not, life will continue on much as it has in the past. Anger, anxiety, and chaos. Do you want that? Or do you want the hope? I think we all want the hope, right? So let's go through this as quickly as I can. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, that, and through uh, faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Many people miss the point of the Cain and Abel story. Among the many strange renderings of this, uh, people, people t- tend to over-spiritualize the story, and they believe that Abel sacrificed an animal sacrifice while Cain merely gave God some grain offering. Uh, but truth is, this has nothing to do with the story at all. It's not even found in the pages of Scripture. As a matter of fact, the respective offerings were what God had allotted to each one of them to care for. 
And here's a principle that I hope you'll see will play out in life. God is not expecting from you something that he has not given to you. God is not expecting from you something he has not given to you. He does not expect you to give on the level of somebody that has been blessed with a fortune. What he is wanting from you is the first of who you are. And it doesn't matter if you're a widow and a mite or if you're a wealthy individual, right? God wants from you, uh, expects from you, whatever it is that he's given to you. The problem with Cain and Abel's, uh, or Cain's offering was that he gave what was left over. Abel, however, is said to have given God of his first fruits. Genesis 4.4. The importance of this is all about faith. Abel trusted God. Cain trusted his world and offered God whatever was left. Quick question. How many of you feel that you fall into that? Cain's story. I trust my world and I give God what's left. Now, I want an honest answer because there are many times in my life when I do that. Right? You don't have to worry. I'll be the first one to raise my hand. But this shouldn't be the case. What should be the case is that The first is given to God because I trust him. Because I believe that he will take care of me. This level of trust will affect every part of our lives, not just what we offer to God. If Cain had believed this, he surely wouldn't have murdered his brother either. But instead he was panicking and he only believed in his world. And God still had mercy on this guy and it was amazing. How does this play into that country that is... Uh, forward-looking? How, how does this play into that great by-and-by, if you will, that God is going to establish for us? If we will trust in that hope more than anything else, what's it matter what happens to your money? This isn't a pastor and a money talk either. What, hap- what does it matter what happens to your money? You'll give the shirt off your back to somebody in need. By the way, your shirt won't fit in our tithe box. I'm not interested and worried about that. God God provides. He always has. But if you're giving first, you're trusting him. And if you're trusting him, the reason why you're trusting him is because you have a hope that is greater. You see a future. You see a home that God has prepared for us. Enoch, verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Enoch was pleasing to God, but it wasn't so that he could be taken up without facing death. Understand this. Enoch was pleasing to God because of what we see in verse 6. He believed that God existed... And he believed that God rewarded. That was it. This is is the not seeing aspect of faith, not the blind aspect of faith. The not seeing aspect of blind is not an aspect of faith, remember. The, The not seeing aspect of faith is that God says, I'll reward you. Sometimes he tells you how. And sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he says to you, I'm going to reward you. You just sit by patiently and wait for what I give. Wait for my provision. For the Israelites, it was manna in the wilderness. For us, it might be something the same. Guess what also happens with God's provision? Just like the children of Israel, sometimes we get sick of God's provision. Does that mean God's provision is not enough? No, it, becomes, it means we're not content any longer. <laughs> it means we keep getting it wrong. I would bet 
that God has provided so much for all of you. And one of your biggest issues, one of my biggest issues, is that I'm just not content in what he's given. Right? So I grumble and I complain and I want more. And James talked a whole lot about this idea. Enoch believed that God existed and that he was a rewarder of those who sought God. God was a rewarder of those who sought him. The reward Enoch seems to have desired, as per the writer of Hebrews within this context, was a city whose builder was God, one where he could dwell with God. You see, it'll change your behavior if you believe this truth too, because all you want is to walk with him and to be with him. You want to please him. Amen? This is all about it. Noah, Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned uh, uh, by God about things not yet seen, not blind things, he just didn't have waves yet, right? In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. I said it earlier that faith is not blind, but that uh, this here is a chance to see when we can't see something. Noah is this perfect example. What Noah places his faith in um, is the God who told him to build the boat and the word of that God to build the boat, not in the rising waters because there was no rising water at the time. So that is, that is not being blind. That's just not seeing what God has already said. The, the word of God is a powerful thing and we should trust it. If God says it, it's true. I don't know that I always like that, right? I don't know that I always like that. Sometimes they go, I know you said it. Can we work around that? I know you said Christians have to suffer. I was thinking prosperity sounds better, right? It's just, it's what we do. But God says, no, and trust me, it'll be okay. God warned Noah, and that word, by that word, Noah built a boat. According to Hebrews 11, based on God's promise of a better country, Noah built the boat, sailed the boat, wrecked the boat, and uh, did some other dumb stuff, but then prospered, right? What an amazing thing. I'm not getting into that. PG, PG here, okay? PG, come on. So when political waters rise in our culture, I hope that we'll remember that we're looking forward to something that is far better than this earth. Abraham. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. I'm not going to read the passage here, but Abraham's story is one that speaks most boldly to our current political climate. Abraham, please listen to me. Every one of you who says that you love America, please listen to me intently right now. Abraham was promised a land and not just any land. He was promised the official promised land of the Bible, right? By faith, he lived as an alien in that land of promise. Okay, so he was promised the land, and he didn't even get to say, this is my land, this land is your land. He didn't get to do that. This was his land, but he lived as a foreigner in the land, dwelling in tents with his kids. Okay, Fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking. The guy who was given the promise of the actual promised land was still looking for a city that was bigger. It was, that's amazing, okay? Even in the earthly promised land of Abraham, He's looking for the city of God. His hope is future. Our hope has to be, because here's the truth. America has never been the promised land. What? Nathan, God established this. God establishes every government. You're not special. 
He may use you for special purposes, but please don't miss this. He established us. It's absolutely true, church. But this isn't the promised land even Abraham was looking for. Because Abraham, even though he had the true promised land of the Bible, still looked for the greater one, the heavenly one. Church, we have no business getting ourselves too entrenched in this world. We have no business doing it. Sarah, by faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. You know what's amazing about Sarah's story? She's looking in the mirror and going, this is hopeless. And yet she goes, but God is good. God will provide. God is faithful. And whether I see anything in this side of heaven or not, there's a hope. There's a home. There's a country. Here's the conclusion of all this, and I'm sorry that I've gone long today. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things, what are the things that we say? We're exiles and strangers in this earth. Not, we're planting here and by God it's going to work the way I want it to. No, We're a people who say we are strangers and exiles on this earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking another country, a country of of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. We're not returning, church. We're not coming back to the good old U.S. of A. When we walk with Jesus, you will never remember You will never remember the pain and the toil and the frustration of this nation. So we are looking for something, not looking back. But as it is, verse 16, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Here's what I want you to know. If we will get our heads straight, if we will know that we live for something better than this world, Not that we shouldn't be good stewards, but if we will get our heads straight that we live for a better country, there is a beautiful promise. God says he's not ashamed of you. Do you know what the opposite implication is, church? We need to understand it, and sometimes it takes the preacher saying it. If God is not ashamed to call those who espouse that this is not their home, then it means he's ashamed of those who dig their heels in and say, this is my king and this is my nation and this is my life. You have to hold this nation with open hands. You have to hold modern politics with open hands. You have to hold the things of this life with open hands. And the second you see Jesus on the horizon, you better drop it and run like there's no tomorrow. Why? Because he's better than all the garbage we have to deal with. Revelation 21, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more sin. My goodness, that is a truth that no nation can promise you. So please, as we engage with politics, as we engage with the Great Commission, which we need to get back to, As we engage with these things, please be open-handed about where you live. 
Don't, don't unfriend people and send people out of, the, of the, uh, the realm of your influence for the gospel just because they don't see eye to eye with you politically. Don't do it. Why? Because you're ruining the hope that they might experience. You're acting just like everybody else. This is not good. Do I like to block people on Facebook? Yes, and I'm not telling you who I block. But there are many times when I've made mistakes in arguing these things, and I've actually lost my influence. I've lost my influence because, well, this is my home and not a future kingdom. What a pity. What a pity. I want you to steward your nation well. I want you to love the America you live in, but keep it with an open hand. And once you see Jesus, you drop that and run. Amen.